Seventy of Hand of Pod. Uh, what you just heard me shout over the theme music was something that Noel shouted a couple of minutes ago, which Dan thought would make a good introduction. So I thought we might as well use that. It sounded a bit more reggaetonish than I expected coming from you, that Sam. Oh yeah, mama. I was listening to salsa earlier in the afternoon. So That'll be it. Then. That'll be it. Um, I'm Sam Kelly, and I'm joined, as you've just heard, by English Dan. Hello. And also by Andres. Hello. Um, this is, of course, the episode in which we're going to be reviewing the Liga Profesional 2023, but not the season for 2023, because there's still the Copa de la Liga to mm. come. But basically, this is the final episode in which you're going to be getting fully reasoned and thought out um, overviews of everything that's happened this year, possibly, because in a few weeks' time, I'm off. Mm. I'm heading to Europe for a couple of months. I'll be back in early November. Um, we will be recording between now and then. The plan, for those of you who support us on Patreon, is for us to meet up here next week and record a whole bunch of extra episodes that I will then schedule to go online while I'm away. So if you want to continue your Hand of fi- Pod fix uninterrupted, then you get over to patreon.com slash handofpod and sign up there. Um, for those of you who are listening to the free podcast, which is the main one and the one that we spend the most time recording and wittering about. Uh, we'll still be recording while I'm away, but it's not going to be weekly. I can't even promise that it's going to be fortnightly. I'm going to be doing a lot of running around and probably won't have time to watch very much of the Copa de la Liga, but we will be trying to keep some form of update rolling in. Um, so watch this space, but basically that's the plan for the next couple of weeks. And of course we will be recording a Copa de la Liga preview episode in a couple, two or three weeks' time. Um, I'm going away in three and a half weeks. Yeah, three and a half weeks. I, I fly on the 27th of August um, and we're recording this on the 4th. So uh, we've got a, a little while. So we'll, we'll, we're recording a full preview episode, but then once the group stages begin, it's going to be patchier coverage for this podcast. At least we need to give other Argentine football podcasts a chance to muscle in on our territory just for a couple of months. Oh, that sounds dangerous to me. Before I come back in in time for our 13th anniversary in November. Anyway, moving on. Uh, the final round, as I hinted a few minutes ago, of Liga Profesional de Football action has taken place. Obviously, as we mentioned last week, the only live issue in terms of what needed to be sorted before the Liga ended was who was going to win the title. And that was decided a couple of weeks ago, and we've already covered it. But I'm going to give you the results here anyway, and then we're going to give you a sort of overview, the best players, the better teams. I think all of this is going to probably be the best players and teams who aren't River Plate or River Plate players, because they were quite comfortably the league winners, uh, and it could get a bit dull if we 
allow ourselves to pick too I, much I, of that. Yes, I have a question about, about the, the best player. Save uh, it. Save it for a few minutes. <laughs> okay. Because first of all, I'll go through the results and then we will begin the discussion. So the results from last weekend were Union 2, Defensa y Justicia 0, Argentinos 2, Estudiantes 3. And I don't want to feel smug, but I did tell you to watch that one when I did Mystic Sound last week. Albeit it wasn't quite as thrilling as the scoreline makes it sound because Estudiantes were 3-0 up uh, with 20 minutes left and Argentino's second goal only came in the 88th minute. So it wasn't quite a five-goal thriller, really. Belgrano, nil. Rosario Central, nil. A dull match involving Rosario Central. It had to happen sooner or later. Newells, one. Tacheres, one. River, two. Racing, one. Central Cordoba, nil. Atletico Tucumán, two. Sarmiento, nil. Banfield, nil. Independiente, nil. Boca Juniors, two. Tigre, two. San Lorenzo, nil. There were a lot of clean sheets, weren't there? <laughs> I, I don't really register this until you just read all the scorelines out in a row like this. Arsenal, two. Colón, nil. Lanús, two. Barracas Central, nil. Gimnasia, one. Platense, one. Huracan, one. Vélez Sarsfield, nil. And just to continue or put an emphatic end to that run of clean sheets, the final match of the season, Godoy Cruz 4, Instituto 2. Mm. Um, obviously, as I kind of already said, none of these matches are particularly dramatic. It's not like the relegation battle's gone down to the last day because there are still, uh, what, 13 matches of the relegation battle to go in the Copa de la Liga group stage. Still, uh, Sam Millis was, um, was a bit of a, a six-pointer. Even yes. if you know there's still 14 sure. games to go, mm. well, they kind of needed that win. I mean, I can't even remember the last time they won an actual game. No, indeed, yeah. I and think it was were months, February or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I, I caught the second half. So when I switched on, Huracan were already 1 0 up because they'd scored at, at the very end of the first half. Um, but it was kind of more entertaining than, than, the, than the stats or the scoreline would suggest, mm. albeit largely because of that tension and because Aurora can actually going to win a match. And then you know that I it was, I know... I should clarify, I've actually just looked this up. The previous week. Yeah, but it was only eight times. days, but before that it was um, three months. Yeah, the previous win had been on the 28th of April and the last time they won two back-to-back... It hasn't what happened was, this year, I think. Oh, right uh, at the start in February. Copa Argentina on the 1st of February and then Liga on the 6th of February. Mm. And that, that Copa Argentina match was sandwiched in between two straight league wins, in fact. Sorry, Andres, you were trying no, that, to talk. Yes, I don't remember whether it was before or after that match that the Barras, the Vélez Barras, went and they were among the, uh, just between the players and, in fact, they attacked some players. Mm. Uh, after mm. it was. Yes. Oh, it was after, yeah. Um, that happened on Tuesday, I feel like. Something like that, Monday, Tuesday. So, yeah, it's been a while since we talked about Barra Bravas on this podcast. Um, and I think he also has something to say about that later, perhaps, when we talk about Racing. Just that um, one of Racing's Barras died uh, in Colombia. Oh, yes, he did, didn't he? Yes. Well, we will discuss Racing's uh, holiday jaunt to Colombia, which involved and running with the police for confusing and hilarious reasons and lots of other stuff a bit later, uh, because we'll be talking about the Copas uh, and in the second half. Um, so yeah, Huracan Veles was fine. Uh, tango moustached Uruguayan striker, I forgot his first name, Cocaro. Mauricio. Mauricio Cocaro, thank you. Is it not Maxi? I thought it was Maxi. Oh, hang on. 
No, Matias. Ah, Matias. Matias. Oh, we all like the correct... <laughs> no, no. We, we, have, we, we all have the correct uh, first two letters of the first Rename him, maybe. Um, but yeah, he scored a penalty on the stroke of half-time to settle it. Um, we may as well talk about the coronation of the champions. Riva got a 2-1 win at home to Racing. It was going to be a 2-0 win at home to Racing uh, before Jonathan Gomez scored with pretty much the last touch of the game. Is that the free kick? Yes, yes very really nice good, kick. really good free yeah. kick. Yeah, that I have lodged in my memory for some reason. Um, it was beautiful because even Armani uh, flying just to try to get the ball and it was far from getting yeah. it. it was it was cracking and of course it was not scored by Gonzalo Piovi because he'd been sent off earlier in the match. Uh, yeah. On the stroke of half time, yes. Hmm. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll obviously be the, the, the more live discussion of both of those two teams um, fortunes this week is to do with the Libertadores so we will talk about it in but more detail later but for River it was the try the goal was perhaps to keep winning because there is a like a record of, of with the, the the match against Inter for Copa Libertadores a record of 15 matches mm. won in a row at the Monumental yes uh, and and Demi Chalice is unbeaten in 16 now, right? Did he draw his first one in church or something? No, the... the it was... I think, I'm sorry, no. He lost, 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 lost it. Um, yeah, I think it was the first match at the, at the, and lost it against Arsenal yes. after winning uh, Central Cordoba but at Santiago del Estero, hmm. I think. Second match of the Liga Arsenal? Yeah, that sounds right, actually, doesn't it? So they had... Yes, they lost to... Mm, no, hang on. They there were 16 matches at the Monumental, only yeah. one lost, which was against Arsenal, and the other 15 won. Mm. They, they beat their first home game of the year was 2 1 win over Argentinos. Ah, okay. uh, then they had a couple away, then they lost to Arsenal in their second home game of the year, which was like the fifth round of league action. Uh, yes, and then since then they've just won a whole bunch in a row. I was for some reason I had in my mind that one of them was also a draw and that it was 16 unbeaten overall but that's wrong uh, but yeah as you say that is a record Claudio Echeverri got a little bit more time we've talked a little bit about him uh, already of course for those who can't remember he's the very young boy well actually he's an old boy or a, not quite yet a very young man in that he's not yet turned <laughs> 18 teenager um, I think is the accepted term so. Yes, you could call him that. Um, <laughs> Adolescent. Indeed. Uh, and he's the next big thing, basically. In yeah, I think that the uh, Michelis is taking care of him, but at this point, I think that is too much care. I mean... Mm. I mean, check him on. It's racing at home. <laughs> and your river. Your river. <laughs> you know you're going to win. Right. Yeah. Give him more than what did he get. In, in case we have any newcomers to the podcast and to Argentine football listening this week, uh, from River Plate's point of view, Racing at home is very much the lads, it's Tottenham of Argentine football. Yes, even away, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> some, that some of the worst defeats have come in Racing's um, Racing Stadium. But... When I first started blogging about Argentine football and Seba, uh, before I moved here, Seba... Uh, was one of the first people to comment on my blog, and I, there must have been a River Racing classic or quite early on, and uh, he was the one who pointed out to me. Even him being a Racing fan was the one who pointed out to me that of the big five classicos in Argentina, River Racing is the most one-sided in terms of head-to-head record. Well, um, I will say, and I, I, what I'll say before you say what you're <laughs> going to say is that in the 
17 years since that exchange took place, it has not got any less one-sided. <laughs> no. But I do feel privileged because I have witnessed a racing away win in the Monumental, in the flesh, mm. from the away stands. Oh, wow. That was quite... The one with Claudio Martinez? No, because the uh, away fans were already banned by then. Oh. It was the 2012 oh. Apertura. A 1-0 win for Racing, I believe, with the goal coming from Matias Cajais. Oh, no, the former Boca defender, yeah. Um, in other matches, Independiente versus Boca, we might as well mop up the big the five. second classico of the round. Exactly, Third, yeah. if you ask the AFA, because there was a fake classico. Of course there was, yes, which we'll get to in a second. Uh, that finished 2-0 to Boca with goals from Ezequiel Ceballos and Nicolás Valentini, either side of a saved uh, penalty from Martin Cauter... Sorry, so Mar Martin Cauteruccio took the penalty for Independiente and it was saved. Um, what a disgusting And I mean literally the match side. opened the scoring in the 72nd minute. Cauteruccio had his penalty saved in the 75th minute. Valentini made it 2-0 in the 77th minute. Um, and why do you say it was a disgusting match? Don't? It was just <coughs> an affront to football, especially the uh, the first half, which... Basically, I mean, I could say it looked like a game in the park between you know people who've never played football in their lives, but that would be probably offensive to people who've never set foot on a football pitch. Just both teams didn't seem to have a clue how to play the game and just ran around kicking each other like headless chickens, or in the case of Boca, just sat on the ball as if you know they were a chicken. Protecting their egg. Yeah, um, Boca, obviously. Absolutely disgraceful stuff for, you know, two of Argentina's biggest teams. Obviously, some of this is because Boca didn't want to kind of overexert themselves with the Libertadores. And because Independiente are in midweek. shit. Yeah, and, and also wouldn't have needed to because of that. But, but then Boca didn't exactly overexert themselves no, exactly. in the Libertadores game. And, and, but also when are they going to exert? As you said, it wasn't exactly a clean match, and Boca weren't exactly like. Yeah. In terms of what they were doing on the ball, they weren't trying to do very much, but they also weren't really holding back from the physical side, which you would have thought they would, given yeah. that they had a Lima Dodoris match coming up that was far more no, important. Horrible, horrible game. Um, so yeah, that's all we have to say about that one, really. And the other remaining member of the Big Five are, of course, tight defence having San Lorenzo, who have finished in third place in the league and yet allowed themselves... To be beaten 2-0 by Tigre, obviously. Again, we need to point out that they were also in midweek action. They had a Copa Sudamericana. Yeah, it was basically a San Lorenzo um, reserve team Babylon. by the look of it. Uh, and yeah, fielded very much a second string side. Um, so yeah, that kind of spoiled ever so slightly uh, their fine defensive record. They do still finish the league with far and away the tightest defence, though. They have conceded double figures thanks to a bit of a collapse late on. Um, but 13 goals conceded in 27 matches. Yeah. If they can keep that up in the Copa de la Liga, then they could have a shot. I mean, they should reach the knockout stages. And then, yeah, and then in the knockout game, as we saw defense. last night. Yes, in the, uh, the, play, the playoffs could be yeah, different, of course. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, and Tigre themselves have done pretty well from that actually haven't they because they got up to 16th with that so they've pulled well clear of a relegation battle that at the beginning of the year we were talking about them 
potentially being involved in if they didn't you know, pick up some points. And although it's only a mid-table finish, everybody below them has done poorly enough that they should now be well clear of it, especially with one of the relegation spots being taken away from them. Um, other notable results from the weekend mm, before we move on to quick, the league campaign as a whole? Go on. Quick honourable mention for Lanús and especially mm-hmm. Pedro de la Vega, El Pepo, because mm-hmm. he is back. He's had horrible injury luck, but he's playing a lot more regularly now since going back. I think it was um, the cruciates he, he did last last year. Yeah. And him being back and in form has coincided perfectly with Lanús remembering how to play football. And that is actually no coincidence because the lad's fantastic. He scored on whatever day they played. I think it was Saturday or Sunday. I'm going to edge my bets. It was the 30th. Yeah. Which was Sunday. Sunday. And then also had a really big hand in Franco Trochansi's goal to put away Barraca Central. Um, I'm surprised there hasn't been more talk about a transfer, although maybe. Well, I was going to say, I think. Maybe people want to see him go for a whole year. He, he, year broke, fit. he broke through in that year when he scored a. Was it in the Classico or in the Sudamericano or something? And then the following day he had to go to school. Yeah. He was so young. Um, and he's been such an exciting player, but I just feel like if I was a scout from a European club now, I'd be thinking his injury record, though. I want to give his him age. Yeah, he's, he's twenty-two now, and just it's re- a real pity that he's had those two. Obviously, it's not like two career-ending injuries or two that have kept him out for ages yeah. and ages and ages. But at such a young age, having an ACL, um, yeah, doesn't bode brilliantly for the future. I'd still, I'd probably give him till the end of the year to keep playing in Lanuski. Yeah. Keep impressing because because his record for for this season twenty five games, which is all but two. Uh, in the league, plus in the league, just the league. Yeah. No, I mean this is just league. Oh right, yeah, yeah. in that case, yeah, it's all but two. Um, yeah, but six I... goals and three assists. Hmm. That's fantastic for a player who was out for the entire year before. Perhaps after such so an early injury, he's back. Yes, but perhaps after uh, such an an early injury, that's why there is there are no teams that are, are looking for him, but yes, if they, he has that uh, matches that perhaps playing continuously, perhaps that, that, that changes. In fact, he was mentioned, but as a, only as a smoke bomb, that he could go, f- he, he was linked with River because he supports River and De La Cruz uh, uh, was set to leave. Finally, he won't leave apparently right now. <coughs> But as a, as a substitution or replacement for De La Cruz, which is... La Cruz would have to be absolutely fucking mental to sell him yes. to an Argentine yes. club. Yeah, I'm not sure how if they just hold on for a bit longer, they're going to get Spanish, Italian teams, yes. and they're definitely going to be in for As long as he just doesn't get injured. Yeah. Please, I'm, Pedro. I'm not sure how well he do as a replacement to De La Cruz. I mean, they don't... The positions are the, the same, in fact. Yeah, their names are very similar, so... Maybe that's true. the same. De La, true, yeah. De La. Obviously, we'll get on to who... Save River. money on um, printing costs for new shirts, if he takes the same number. We'll get on to who River are bringing in in a few minutes' time, along with um, who one or two other clubs are bringing in. Good news for you, Boca fans, at last. Um, other results from the weekend that jump out? Anything? Should we move on to no, um, season as a whole? I've very um, briefly mentioned that fake Clásica, so I should at least say which one oh, it was. Yes, it was... Atletico Tucumán's victory over Central Córdoba, mm. and it's not a clásico at all, but no. it is to the Afro. Indeed it is, yes. Uh, goals there, relatively late, in fact. Bautista Kosiubinski, 
uh, with 12 minutes to go, and Christian Menendez, whose name is much easier to say, uh, with six minutes to go. And that sealed Atletico a, an 11th place finish in the end, hmm. which, considering how dreadful they were for the first half of the season, yeah. is quite impressive. Um, just to look it up, they had all of two wins in the first 17 games of the season, and then picked up one, two, three, four, five, six, seven in the last 10. Mm. So if we had a real league, they could have been, that could have been championship form. Indeed, yeah, if they could have kept that going. Wow, that's incredible. That is actually incredible. Like a runaway train. Two in 17 and then seven in 10. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the standings, I'm not going to run all the way down the whole of the table, um, but obviously River finished top. They did so by 11 points. They finished on 61. And they had a goal difference of plus 30. Won far more matches than anyone else. Uh, they won 19. Second place, Tacheres, had 14. So five, five fewer wins. And nobody else managed more than 12. Oh, no, hang on. That's not true. Boca managed 13. Um, in spite of finishing down in seventh. That's pretty... I mean, it's an illustration of how tight the top of the table was, actually, up below River and Tacheres. Tacheres is second with 50 points. And the goal difference of 19. And then, as I've just said... Pretty tight from third place San Lorenzo on 46 points. Uh, Lanús and Estudiantes both on 45. Defensive of DCA and Boca both on 44, down to seventh place. And then there's a massive two-point gap to Rosario Central on 42. And then another one point to Godoy Cruz on 41. At the bottom of the table, all of this stuff, by the way, obviously is still going to be live going into the Copa de la Liga because the positions and points I'm reading out now are going to be relevant to the annual table which is going to be the league that's just finished, plus the group stage of the Copa de la Liga. Um, and that's why I'm sort of giving you this short rundown. So those, the positions I've just read, actually might be down to 10th, mine. Mm -hmm. So Argentinos are 10th and they have 40 points. Atletico Tucumán on 37 in 11th and Racing and Belgrano on 12th and 13th in 36 points. Uh, those will be the teams who are currently in the best positions to scrap it out for the final place or two in the Copa Sudamericana mm -hmm. for next year. I think that goes down to 9th. It might be 10th. 10th, I think, yeah. Depending on who wins the Copa Argentina. Yes. Um, and down at the bottom of the table, just a reminder, there is one relegation spot from the average points table, which is almost definitely going to be Arsenal de Sarandí. And there is one relegation spot, because the goalposts have been moved, from this table here, or from the annual table, which is this table here, plus the group stage of the Copa de la Liga. Uh, and at the moment, Arsenal are also bottom of that table, and therefore the relegation spot from the annual table would go to the team who finished second bottom. Right now, Colón and Huracán are tied on 25 points each, and although Huracán have better goal difference, that wouldn't make a difference. They would have to play off against each other to decide who goes down, because when you're tied for the title or tied for relegation, you've got to play, play a one-off match on neutral ground. So... There's a lot of football still to be played, but those are the standings. Venice have 27 points, Independiente 28, Central Cordoba 29, and bloody hell, Gimnasia, Banfield, Union, and Sarmiento all have 30. Um, so there's, you know, that, that's a five points between 19th place Sarmiento and 27th place Colón. Mm -hmm. So there is definitely scope for the relegation battle to get interesting during the Copa de la Liga group stage, not least because, as Seba pointed out in our WhatsApp Ooh, group the other day, and as we will talk about in more detail in a couple of weeks' time, 
the group stage for the Copa de la Liga draw has now been made, and it's pretty much the bottom half of the league table in one group and the top half of the league table in the other. So all of the teams that I've just mentioned as being involved in a relegation battle are going to be playing against each other uh, during the Copa de la Liga. And I think that from the relegation point of view, if not necessarily from giving everybody an equal chance mm. to win the Copa de la Liga, that is the fairest way to do it. Because, mm. you know, if... I don't know. Let's just to pick two names at random. If Colón were going to end up being relegated a point behind Central Cordoba without having played against Central Cordoba at any point during the mm. second half of the season, then that really wouldn't seem very fair. No. Not that this system's completely fair anyway, because you should just do it over a whole league season. Um, but if you're going to do it, then I think that this is the best way to do it. So, you know, well done to them for spotting that at least and, and trying to do something about it. Um, now, player-wise, team-wise, I mean, who've been the best teams in the league apart from River is a pretty obvious and easy one to answer. Tacheres. And perhaps San Lorenzo somehow. I mean, they did finish third, so they get it by default, even though we seem to spend most of the season slacking them off. Um, but top players who didn't play for River? Any opinions? I would nominate two from Rosario Central, mm-hmm. who are most improved team, I think. At least, along, along with Lanús. It's almost as if Carlos Tevez shouldn't have been managing them. But it wasn't just Tevez. As, you know, as much as we hate and love to make fun of Tevez, and we still will at every opportunity, um, it wasn't all his fault. But they really did get it together. You know, this team blending the the young with the more experienced heads, and that is perfectly personified in the two players. I'm gonna. Um, Name now, Alejo, new Harry Kane, Lelis. Um, brilliant campaign, uh, even more so considering that it was interrupted in the middle by the Under-20 World Cup, where he was also brilliant. Um, and despite missing, it's at least three games, right? During, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, still finished with 11 goals, just two off the eventual top scorers, uh, Santos and Vigetti, Vigetti from... Uh, Tacheres and Begrano de Corvo respectively and the second honourable mention for me Ignacio Malet Magor mm. top assister assist maker um, with eight and just rolled back the years like, seemed to really no well, really enjoyed playing alongside the young players instead of love playing with the kids uh, which could be suspect. Indeed, yes. yes. I would add, obviously, Gini Fantino to that list. Yeah, it was, it was a lot of bright spots for, for Central. Yeah, I mean, and, and no coincidence that two of those three names were involved in the Under-20 World Cup. Not albeit, my brother. A, a pretty, no, exactly. Albeit a, <laughs> a fairly uninspiring uh, campaign in the Under-20 World Cup, which is what we were expecting because they did fail to qualify. <laughs> they are managed by Javier Mascherano. And they did only get into it thanks to Argentina stepping in as hosts at the last mm. minute. But um, individually, some bright sparks and clearly some, some talent for the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. In terms of strikers as well, I was going to say that you know you mentioned Vélez finishing only two points, um, two goals behind the, the two top scorers. But he's down in like joint sixth mm. uh, due to that. Because we have talked a lot in, in many different seasons, not necessarily generally speaking um, you know there, there have been campaigns where 
we've bemoaned the lack of goals in Argentine football. And we have got 10 players who broke the double goal barrier from a 27-game, in inverted commas, season. Is that really impressive? Um, well, I think so. I mean, Bechetti and, and Santos, 13 goals. I mean, if they were ever present for their sides, and off the top of my head, I can't remember whether either of them were, that's still one in two. Yeah. Uh, I feel like Vichetti had something stupid like eight goals in the first yeah. eight games and then kind and of then tailed off. He really hit fire. Yeah. Uh, caught fire, sorry. Like Belgrano. Lucas... The whole team was like that, I think. Yeah. Uh, Lucas Beltran and Gabriel Avalos of River and Argentinos both had 12. Oh, as did Nico Fernandez for Defensive Justicia. And then Mateo Retegui of Tigre, Alejo Belis, Leandro Diaz of Lanús, Martin Cauteruccio, in spite of that saved penalty against Boca. The only one of seven I think he missed. Yes. Over the season. <laughs> uh, for Independiente and Adrian Martinez for Instituto all finished on 11 goals. Um, well, this is generally him. pretty because high score. Like, I'm not saying necessarily that oh, just managing more than 10 if you're a centre forward is <laughs> impressive, but having that number who managed almost, not very far off, um, a goal every couple of matches. Yeah, it's, it's not oh, bad. Look, it's not a good, bad. good hit rate. Um, I think, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going out on a limb by any means to say Bildran, player of the season, mm. or the semester, however yeah. you want to put it. Uh, he was fantastic. Just really dug River out of that hole they seemed to have with, you know, having no strikers who were capable of scoring goals. Yeah, and um, River have been quite sensible with him as well because I think I read, Andres, you'll be able to correct me if I'm wrong, that they have given him a higher minimum release clause than Julian Alvarez and Enzo Fernandez had, right? Is it 30 million euros? No, 25. 25. The, the, the release clause automatically raised to 25. It was 20. But 10 days before the transfer window closes, uh, that clause it's a, raises automatically to 5 more million. Right. The, the highest release clause for River squad is for Frank Facundo Colidio. 30 million. Yes, he's just come in. Yes, of course. Yeah. The others are 20, 25, and depends, on, of course, on the time in which the, 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 the transfer is made. Yeah, um, that compares with Alvarez and Fernandez, who both have release clauses, if I remember rightly, of about 15 million. Well, I think it was also 20 euros or dollars. 20 sounds but familiar, but it could be dollars, could be euros. Yeah, I, I have a feeling that, that Enzo Enzo went for like 12 million. Mm euros in the end Something because like they were happy to no because it had, had that, that double uh, for the, the, the value was low but then there there was that yeah, plus value yeah that 20% or whatever yeah. Um, but yeah I think the river need to, to be doing that more often especially with how many youngsters they've clearly got especially if, if Benfica is, is looking for your players exactly yeah I mean if Beltran is not quite on Julian Alvarez's level but he's more than good enough to get and just Benfica is again soon. And doing, as you say, yeah, yeah. Benfica have been supposedly are now showing interest, and you know that you're going to pick up a big semi clause <laughs> and they uh, they have plenty of money as they have sold Gonzalo Ramos for 80 million. So mm-hmm. if they had they already had money, now they have more. And <laughs> indeed, yeah, I'd like to propose a category for these awards. Go on, um, it could be quite a hard fought one. I can see two. Definite candidates, at least. Most disappointing city. Not team, city. Ooh, okay. Let's have a look at the standings and see whether... I mean, there are two clear candidates. Well, Abishanir. 
Of course, yes, they're yeah, I mean, like they, so. I'm yep. thinking of cities who have more than one team. It's between Avicenia and Santa Fe. And I think it could go down mm. to the wire. Yeah. Uh, Colón 27th and Union mm. 20th. For Avicenia, you've got Arsenal 28th and Independiente 24th. But Racing, Ra- Racing are all the way up in 12th. So I'm not sure we can give it but to But they them. finished in second last year. That's a massive disappointment for Racing. Yes, I think, you know, it's, you have to take into account expectations as well. Yeah, true, true. Uh, uh, it's a difficult one. Perhaps the, I mean, the it price horrible for Santa Fe, but... Perhaps the price today that, that uh, I mean, being, being constant in, in being like protagonist is for perhaps Tacheres, because they have been in that, I mean... They, they perhaps is they don't have what is we takes to be the champions, but they are they are they are they are in in, in spots like close to be to be the leaders. Yeah, and and to to finish in second so relatively soon in in terms of you know. It's up to Atlético Tucumán to be finishing second to River as well. Two years ago. Two years. Ago. Um, it's really yeah. it's really impressive for a club of that size. Obviously, if it was. River themselves finishing second two times in three seasons, you'd think, so what? But for Tacheres to do it is... Because, for example, it, it happened to Atletico Tucumán that they were, like, fighting with Boca, and now we are there. Even when they, they recovered a bit, well, they, they, they couldn't uh, keep it. Yeah. And they've done it through the aforementioned Michael Santos. Uh, who scored 13 goals, but also Nahuel Bustos chipped in with seven. Rodrigo Garro was their third top scorer and also just put in some gen- generally solid, uh, good baseline Diego Valos is, again, Diego very, Valos, very good. Um, on the wing. Just a really good, sort of cohesive unit. And, okay, you're kind of... What happens if any of those players had got suspended or injured for a long period of time? Don't know mm. how well they'd have been able to keep it up, but... You've got to take a chance on that, yes. especially when you're a club of that size and well, a team of, of, of that size, rather, because they are a massive club in Cordoba. Uh, the, over the course of the, in the context of the wider league, it's obviously more of a struggle when you've got the big five in Buenos Aires, mm-hmm. where even if you know Independiente or San Lorenzo are coming for some of their players, there would have been the temptation to, to go. Um, and yeah, they've, they've kept it going fantastically. And just a really solid way of playing it's like you know they've swapped managers what a couple of times in the last couple of years and yet the, the yes the style that they're going for remains constant it, it, it's like yeah they play decent football try and score goals at least which is anyway, true of all their teams in the league after exactly. after Medina I think that uh, uh, I mean Gandolfi is said to be there for a long time hmm. yeah I, I think you're right um other domestic football action. Have we had any Copa Argentina matches since we last recorded? We did, and it was bad news for the team. We just one of the teams were just been bigging up because they went out quite embarrassingly. Indeed, yes, we have had. Uh, did we record before San Lorenzo Platense last week? We didn't. Did yes, we? we did. We did. So San Lorenzo versus Platense last week ended nil nil, and San Lorenzo ended up winning the. No, we recorded after. I remember penalty we shoots out four three, and yeah, now I've said it, and you're quite right. We did mention yes. that on last week's episode, but there have been three matches this week, and those finished well, high flying and very impressive. Rosario Central humiliated one nil at the hands of Chaco Forever. 
Yes, go on, Checo Pereira. One of the best named clubs in South America, but very much not one of the best football teams in South America. Oh, you um, say that, but... Checo play in the Primera Nacional, so they're the second division now, but... but that's true like, of about 40 teams. Exactly, so yeah. To... Historically, they'd be more of a third division side, and it was, I didn't see the game, but just looking at the stats, um, perhaps a bit of a snatch and grab win they scored in the 88th minute after being thoroughly second best on it seems like they got absolutely pissed on and just kept it out Luciano Silva a name that rings a bell Jackal Forever's keeper I feel like he's been around the Mm. been around the leagues a few times but it was a full strength central team they went out for it went for the jug they just couldn't put the ball in the net which is very strange for them yeah Silva has played for Huracan Las Heras Gutierrez SSC. Oh, that must be where I know that is. Huracan Las Heras again, he was on loan at Gutierrez. And then for Gimnasia y Tiro de Salta, and now Chaco for, Forever. So he's been around the lower leagues. That, mind mm. you, this, that, that history starts in July 2015, and he's 30, so he obviously had some clubs before Huracan Las Heras. I'm just going off his sofa score profile. Mm. Uh, another lower division shock came on uh, Thursday. And that was Banfield's defeat by the same scoreline, 1-0, against Estudiantes de Rio Cuarto, students of the Fourth River. Mm. But they, they have some experienced players in their squad. Not, for example, not, uh, he, not, he didn't play any mid, but Fernando Belucci, for example. Oh, wow. 39 years old. Yeah. Was on the bench, didn't play. Yeah. And Neri Lesias, who did play in midfield, I see there. And Sorbrihan. I don't know whether he's a German origin, of, but... Uh, oh, yeah. Santiago Sobrigan, yeah. Um, so, yeah, well done, Estudiantes de Rio Cuarto. And that, Franco Petroli... not a late one. It was in the 23rd minute, and it was scored by Nicolas Tampone. And Franco Petroli, who I think he's the former River goalkeeper, not having played because of Armani, of course. Uh-huh. But he's already 25. Right, yeah. Uh, and a top division club who managed to not suffer a humiliating exit in the Copa Argentina this week were Belgrano who won 1-0 against Claypole that one would have been really embarrassing I think Claypole uh, third uh, Primera C Primera C which is fourth division yeah but they had really considering the other you know the 40 teams in in Primera in Primera Nacional that is really fun. But they, they have already... And they're not doing well in the fourth division. Oh, no. they're, they're sixth, in fairness, but their recent form is pretty bad. Yeah. But they had already complicated Boca, I think, in... I don't mm. remember what it was the past... I think last Copa year. Argentina. Well, it could have been this one, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, it must have been the other one. Um, so, yeah, that's your Copa Argentina update. It looks to me as if Instituto versus Huracan has been scheduled. And that's going to be taking place on the 9th, which mm. is Tuesday... Tuesday Wednesday. or Wednesday next week. Oh, it's Wednesday. Friday. Wednesday. Of course, yes, it's Wednesday next week. And uh, the remaining matches in this round are Independiente versus Central Cordoba, an all-top-flight clash, and another all-top-flight top flight clash between Colón and Lanús. And Sofa Score is claiming that those are both going to be midnight kickoffs on the 15th, and I'm guessing that that means that they'll be played in that week but haven't actually been scheduled yet. Mm. So... We'll keep you up to date as and when those are played. For now, we're going to call a half-time break. And when we come back, we will talk about the Women's World Cup and our frustrations there with, with the Argentine team, uh, the Copa Sudamericana and the Copa Libertadores. And let's face it, we'll probably mention Lionel Messi again as well, because 
shockingly, he's done some more goals. So don't go away. of the things that I mentioned before we went away. Um, which was? Which was Lionel Messi <clears throat> doing what Lionel Messi does. Uh, Scoring goals with his right foot. Now, yes, indeed. As, as Before we start talking about Lionel Messi and how um, he's going to score lots of goals against defences who, without meaning to offend any of our American listeners, are not very good. Um, I will say, I'm very aware that if we do this every single week, we're going to sound... Very much like what we would take the piss out of other podcasts for doing if they were saying the same thing about Cristiano Ronaldo. So we're not going to do this every week. But there have been headlines about Lionel Messi setting a new Guinness World Record recently. And I am confused because I've just clicked an article to see what this world record is exactly. And it says, after it became the most watched live event in the history of the United States. This is talking about his second goal in the win over Atlanta United, right. uh, like a week and a half ago. But it then says, the video has reportedly garnered over 3.4 billion views. And that suggests to me that we're not talking about live viewings. Of no, it would be a single goal people video. People watching yeah. a video. So I don't quite understand why it's the most watched live event when most of those people weren't watching it live. Plus it's on Apple TV+, Plus, so it obviously... Yeah isn't being watched live by more people than, say, the moon landings or... But I, I no, I mean, or I mean, I'm sure, you know, Messi has gone in a lot of interest, but even with Messi and into miami Atlanta United game is not going to get more viewers than a Super Bowl. How, how many or millions? probably even any NFL game. No, indeed. So, how many millions? 3.4 yeah. billion. There are in 3 billions of Apple TV Plus or MLS... Uh, through Apple, no, there's like no, two exactly. million. And so so yeah. it can't be live. It has to be, you know, views on other platforms and stuff. Yeah. And therefore, it's also the in the United States bit confuses me because three point four billion people watching it, or three point four billion views in the United States would be. So they have what four hundred million people? A hundred views 100. for every single person who lives in the country, or something. It's about three hundred fifty yes. million people. Um, that seems wrong. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's my little rant about that. But in other news, well. uh, he is continuing to score goals and he's continuing to set up goals. And, and apparently, sorry. lots of people did not see mm. this coming. I don't say I don't know whether people that doesn't have the uh, MLS season pass uh, at Apple to watch the uh, entire even the highlights because when I try to watch them. At YouTube, uh, they don't show uh, all of the highlights. No, the, t- the highlights they show are useless. Yeah. <laughs> they show the goals and a couple of shots that get saved or go narrowly wide and not very much else. And the other thing, from having watched, I guess, three now, how many games has he played? Three. Yeah, so I've watched the highlights of all the matches he's played. So that's a cumulative total of 15 minutes of footage or something mm-hmm. and the number of times that the commentators mention the offside law even when it isn't at all relevant 
is astonishing. Every time anybody gets thrown goal, they're like, he's not offside, and you think, no, he's just dribbled around three defenders to get to where he is. Why would he be offside? Why are you mentioning that? Um, but anyway, yeah, I, I really, as I mentioned in the, in the WhatsApp group, it really irritates me when non-Americans get all, oh, Americans don't know anything about soccer, and, and make jokes about it and stuff. But at the same time, those commentators, how on earth do you put up with them? It's just... Anyway. To be fair, considering some of the decisions you see in some of the ridiculous debates that uh, break out around offside in England, in Argentina, yes. you know, standard short yeah. countries, little reminders might not go amiss. No, no, I don't think we should feel that we're above being reminded of the offside loss because I feel like there are a lot of football fans who really don't have a clue what, how it works. And speaking about football fans who don't have a clue and ridiculous decisions and controversies, it's that point of the podcast where we talk about the South American Club Cups. Mm. Lovely segue there, Dan. Well done. Thank we'll you. go through the Sudamericana first because, no offence to fans of the teams competing in it, but it is generally considered to be the li- less important of the two. Because it um, is. <laughs> yes, no, that, was, that was the joke. Um, I'll go through all the results. Why not? Libertad versus Fortaleza. Neither of them are Argentine clubs, but Fortaleza got a 1-0 win. Emelec versus Defensa y Justicia. Defensa y Justicia landed the first blow for Argentina's clubs with a 2-1 win in ooh, Guayaquil. I was just about to say Quito, but it's oh. not. Um, and they did so with a late comeback. Brian Carabali opened the scoring for Emelec. That is... Yeah, I'm not sure why I'm amused by that surname, but I thought that as well, um, Andres. Uh, in the fifth minute, he scored. Um, kind of sounds like an, a Victorian-era carriage, right? It does, doesn't it? Yeah. It does sound... Carabanch. Yes. That would be the one, yeah. That's the word. Nice one, yeah. Um, but Defensive Justicia got two goals very late on. Nicolas Fernandes in the 87th minute and Gaston Doni in the 91st minute to turn around and win it for them. Am I misremembering, or did they turn it round late on to win it when they actually won the Sudamericana in the final a few years ago. Were there two late goals or was it one relatively late winner after a tight match or something? I can't remember. I think it was the latter, to be honest. It might have been, but late goals, defensive of DCA, couple Sudamericana. So yeah. Goals at any time for the defensive yeah, There were extra time, I think, yes. So they'll bring it back to Florencio Barrera next week with a 2-1 uh, advantage. A club who will also be playing the second leg at home, but who will not have an advantage, are Newell's Old Boys, because they lost to Corinthians 2-1 in San Paolo. They took the lead on the stroke of half-time through Marcos Portillo. No relation to the former British Vice uh, Deputy, Deputy Prime Minister, Chancellor of the Exchequer. And I feel like he was latter day television documentary. Secretary for yeah. a while, Michael Portillo. Yeah. Latter day television documentarist, anyway. Um, but in the second half, a penalty from Yuri Alberto and a non penalty from Wesley uh, made it 2 1 to Corinthians, who therefore come to Rosario. Well, come to Argentina. Obviously, we're not based in Rosario, so go to Rosario um, with a 2 1 advantage. Estudiantes versus Guayash. No such complications, no such comebacks, just a fairly dull nil-nil first half. And then goals from Guido Carrillo, Benjamin Rolheiser and Benjamin Rolheiser. Mm-hmm. I think it was the second of Rolheiser's goals that was a lovely free kick into the top corner. It's been uh, scoring goal. ridiculous amounts of brilliant goals yeah. recently. And Rolheiser seems to 
be belting in a few... Did he score a free kick at the weekend as well, in the league? I feel like I've seen he scored several free kicks from him. He has been a basically human he's, highlight reel for yeah. the last month or so. In fact, he's, so. he's scored more than Carrillo, I think, mm-hmm. in the entire season, because he, he played not a lot of minutes, and yeah. he, he went back to, to, to the Andes as a... I don't know, I don't know whether to call him a star, but a great uh, signing. He's I mean, got five goals for oh. them in, in this year's Sudamericana. Um, and this is playing as, I mean, it says forward here, but he really he plays a bit further back than that for me. He's like an attacking midfielder. And he scored six goals for them in the league. He was their joint top scorer along with oh, Mauro Bosselli well, in the league. So it's 11 in total. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, but yeah, so Estudiantes seem to have that tie wrapped up, even though they've got to go to Guayas uh, next week. Botafogo 2, Guarani 1, San Lorenzo 1, San Paulo 0 in the Clash of the Saints. Only one of whom is an actual saint, because obviously San Lorenzo was just a priest who the people who founded the club named the club after. But I think there is a saint, a saint Lawrence. Oh, there is, anyway, yeah. yeah. But he's not the one who... This, the club is just named after somebody they nicknamed Saint Lawrence, whereas San Paolo are obviously named after somebody who's very much a saint. Wasn't it Lawrence the original, the priest? Uh, that goal was from Adam Barreiro early in the second half. New Blense nil. Liga Deportiva Universitaria de Quito won. Who scored and, the goal? Uh, I should point something out. Who scored it? Did you see the goal scorer? Oh, good grief. He's signed for somebody already. Pablo Guerrero. Do, do you feel like he's trolling you, Dan? No, he's just really good against New Valencia. Uh, <laughs> we ran the numbers with, um, with Andres before you arrived. Um, Pablo Guerrero's season record. Um, I haven't got the numbers right in front of me, but I can remember him more or less. Uh comes to two goals and an assist mm-hmm. in three games against New Valencia <laughs> and two goals and an assist in the other 20 games he played all year. <laughs> I'm surprised he managed 20 games in fairness, but... Yeah, between Copa Libertadores, everything. Rather than, than Paulo Guerrero, the ones who trolled Dan were the defenders of New Valencia. Mm. Yeah, they didn't defend <laughs> very well at all. But I then was... they didn't against Racing either, so we're happy at them for that. I also note that the surname of the gentleman who assisted Guerrero's goal is Quintero, and we will have something to discuss for Racing from that point of view when we get onto the transfer window mm-hmm. talk in a little while. Uh, obviously not the same player, but, well, some of you will have guessed where this is going. And the other match uh, between uh, perhaps the two teams that we're least interested in, uh, I think it's fair to say, in the Sudamericana, as Argentine football podcast, not because mm-hmm. every club doesn't deserve interest, although one of these two definitely doesn't, America Mineiro won. Bragantino, who are part of the fizzy sports drink uh, sporting enterprise, won. Uh, an own goal from Ede Ferreira for the benefit of the, the baddies near the beginning, near the end of the, of the first half. And Gonzalo Mastriani with a goal for America Mineiro to, uh, to, to equalise about 15 minutes to go. Um, from that little lot, obviously we're not going to go into too much depth on the Sudamericana, but I feel like the Argentine clubs could all be pretty happy with their week's work. Obviously, oh, Newell's will have wanted better than losing, but away to a club as big as Corinthians, mm. they're going to fancy their chances in the second leg when they've got home advantage. And the others all manage wins, right? Estudiantes beat Goyash, Defensa Justicia beat Emelec, San Lorenzo beat San Paolo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, very good. So that's all we've got to say about the Sudamericana. We weren't. Could be tricky for San Lorenzo watching because it was only 1 0, but. But yeah. then they don't. 
can see goals. Exactly. 1-0 so yeah, is as good as 4-0. Uh, yeah, let, let's face it, regardless of what the result had been the other night, they would have been going away and thinking, right, we've got to grind out a draw here. Because yes. that's just what they do. Absolutely. Especially away from home. Um, in the Libertadores, again, I feel like there are some good results for Argentine clubs here, with apologies to Dan. Um, and you'll see why I said that in a minute if you're not already aware of them. Apologies, apologies to Argentinos as well. Well, I was going to say, Argentinos result, I feel like if they were offered this before the match, they would have bitten your arm off for it. Mm. But perhaps not with that absolutely awful injury uh, that happened. I was going to say, Sam, if I had five pesos for every time a distinguished former Champions League winner (laughs) has completely destroyed the leg of an Argentina Juniors player... I would have 10 pesos, which doesn't sound like a lot, but it's strange that happened twice. Indeed. Gabriel Avalos opened the scoring for Argentinos, and um, Fluminense got an equaliser late on through the excellently named Samuel. That's Sam. Xavier. Xavier is of no importance to me, but obviously his first name is one that I like. Uh, So it finished Argentinos 1, Fluminense 1, but the story of the night was Marcelo's red card foul on uh, Luciano Sanchez and I I will admit that I haven't seen the video in large part because I can't bring myself to watch it but Tony mm. was kind enough and I put the word kind in <laughs> heavy quotation marks there to share a tweet with us in the WhatsApp group um, that showed a photograph of what Marcelo did to his leg and it looks somehow and I can't believe I'm saying this worse than what Carlos Tevez did to Ezequiel Ham about Seven or eight years. Anyway, it was up there, yeah. But with less than ten. Um, uh, right. to, uh, to be fair to Marcelo. What the doctor said afterwards was that, uh, of course, Marcelo uh, wasn't good, but that the injury was before, uh, and the movement was by done by 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 Sanchez, mm. and then Marcelo is like put his feet, his foot in his uh, leg. So they're saying that Sanchez. That was the doctor said. They're saying that Sanchez bent his own shin back the wrong way. Look, like he buried his like he's buried his foot, and that movement made his knee under <sighs> like a, well. Anyway, uh, if you don't have a strong stomach, don't look up what we're talking about because whether something was snapped or whether his knee bent the wrong way or what, I don't know. But I I just know that I don't want to see that again. Yeah. Um, both teams, in fact, finished with 10 men because Alexis Arias got sent off for Argentinos um, before Fluminense's equaliser came. And I did, although I didn't see the foul, um, I did end up watching about the last half hour or so of that match. I must have turned, actually, yeah, looking at this, I must have turned on just after the foul took place. Um, and Fluminense were, let's say, I think they deserved the equaliser based on the late play uh, that, that they showed. But I'm not sure that they were exactly battering down the doors. No. Uh, Argentinos did, just generally, and looking at what they did in the first half, stat- stats-wise as well, really good performance. Um, obviously, they're going to be going to the Maracanã, and we're all going to be thinking, oh, God, this what happened to River? Especially without a goalkeeper. Yeah. Slightly different pitch from the Paternal Stadium, from the Diego Armando Maradona. Indeed, yes. And in fairness, Dan, I believe that the laws of the game are going to allow them to name a different goalkeeper Mm. in Arias's place. Uh, Did they not bring on a goalkeeper after he got sent off? No, they they had all their changes 
Oh, they used all yeah. the subs. Yes. Ah, yeah. So who went in goal? Who? Heredia, who also won. Mm. Ah. So yeah, I guess limiting it, limiting it to one all with ten men and without a keeper. Yeah, I, I have a bad. feeling. I have a feeling Fluminense. There were like ten minutes of stoppage time. Yeah. And I think Fluminense scored another goal in those ten minutes, and it got disallowed for offside or something. I, I saw that, but I wasn't paying full attention. So this is why, until we started talking, I thought Fluminense won that game. Right. <laughs> details are everything yes the devil is in the details yeah uh, Bolivar obviously have home advantage and therefore have the advantage of altitude but they might just be going down to wherever it is Atletico Paranaense play the name of the city Curitiba Curitiba thank you um, and thinking that they have a chance because they got a 3-1 win over Atletico Paranaense Plus, they've been really, really good, you know, altitude notwithstanding in this Copa. Yes, exactly. They have yeah, actually been really good. I mean, they, they might well fancy their chances of getting a 1 0 defeat or better to, to go through to the next one. River is paying attention to that. Yes, and because... speaking of River, they were the second place team who nobody wanted to face, as we reminded you all last week and said initially after the group stages ended. And that has proved to be the case for Internacional because Inter through a goal from Ener Valencia on the stroke of half-time, had a 1-0 advantage, but in the second half, River equalised through Pablo Solari, who, by the way, if we've been including uh, River players in our who've been the best players of the league campaign thing, would have been one of my shouts for most underrated, perhaps. And then through another goal from Pablo Solari, about 15 minutes apart. Uh, so River got a 2-1 win, and I'm going to say it, if anything, I thought that was kind to Inter because River were, especially the second half, they could have had at least one more goal. If not they two. changed massively, especially from their mentality. It's just Inter as well doing that, that yes. classic Brazilian thing of going a goal ahead fairly early and just making no attempts to play mm. after that, which is so annoying considering you know how good a lot of these teams are. And it's a bit of a thing as well where I, I, I haven't seen it mentioned as much in, in recent years, but certainly back when we started recording, there was kind of a, an attitude here, just generally in kind of Argentine football mm. culture, Argentine football Twitter and, and the media talk and how the fans felt, that Brazilian clubs are all very like, oh, you know, we're the Billy Big Balls of the continent in, <laughs> in Sudamericana and Libertadores competition until they come to Argentina. And then mm. they start going, oh, no, shit, we can't play Argentine clubs. And they, and they sort of come up, even when they're really good against those same Argentine clubs back in Brazil, in, in the home leg. Mm. Um, and it's, it just sort of, and again, obviously, you mentioned in passing last week when we were previewing this tie, the Chacho Caldet against River factor as well. Mm. Uh, and it wasn't kind of as if all of the stereotypes were coming home to roost, except that, River they did. didn't put away all of their chances and shouldn't weren't as far. Apart from that, there are several YouTube accounts showing the crowd, the, the, the support. Oh, look at it's like giving importance more to that than to the to the game. Mm. Of course, it's important for to have eighty five million, uh, million eighty five thousand people. Uh, no, yes, eighty five thousand people uh, shouting and singing. But uh, I, I mean. They don't win the matches. Of no. course, it's important to have the, the that. And but Inter fans were like marvelous about that. It's, it was like doomed. Oh, we can't believe it. 
Well, yeah. you're in Bra- you're from Brazil. It's yeah, not I mean, that you, you played league matches away in the Maracanã. It's yes. okay. It is now officially smaller than the Monumental, but it's not that much smaller. It's you know comparable. Yeah, but I feel like for domestic Brazilian games, no one goes anyway. That's so true. They probably don't have that many. Admittedly, <laughs> yeah. big games like how many fans would Fluminense support for a home match against Internacional? Which isn't a classical or anything. We can find out. 20,000, 25,000? Hang on a second. If you, because the, I, I, just as I was looking at that, I was looking at Inter's recent results and they, they played away to Fluminense ah. uh, on the 9th of July, which is less than a month ago. Yeah. And according to SofaScore, the attendance for that match was. And it was in the Maracanã. And the attendance isn't listed. <laughs> so, oh, hang on, maybe it's in statistics. It is not in statistics. But why, they, they why should, would that not be? They should have more enthusiasm because if they go through to the quarterfinals and Flamengo do this, do that too, they will face each other. Uh, Flamengo, I think, is with Olympia and they defeated one 0 Of course, not tight result, but if they w- they go through to the quarterfinals, they could they could play each other. Yeah. Um, anyway, from River's point of view, um, it's still. Up in the air because obviously they've got to go back to Porto Alegre. But and it's it was only one goal, uh, goal. But was key. The way they they played in the second half was key, yeah. with the of course fundamental substitution of uh, Pablo Solari, which was perhaps hard because Nacho Fernandez even playing not at his best level, is Nacho Fernandez. It's like the brain. Yeah. Um, what I can say, Sam, yeah. at least for two thousand and twenty-two. Oh, we've got 2023 here, possibly. In 2022, Fluminense's average home gate was 30,000. Is that all at the Maracanã? It doesn't say. And this year it's bumped up a little bit to 34,000. Oh, wow. So, yeah. I mean, Flamengo, who we know do play all of their games at the Maracanã, are averaging 58,000, which is decent, but not capacity by any means. And also... By quite some distance, the second most supported club in the country, mm. playing in the biggest stadium in the country, and they're not selling it out. No, that, that, no f- f- looking at that from an Argentine football fan's point of view, that sounds laughable. Where we've got yes, absolutely, absolute minimum of four clubs with bigger stadiums than Flamengo's average capacity, and who sell them out: River, yeah. Boca, Racing, Tacheres. He's eighty thousand. The full capacity of the. Actually, of the oh, okay, players. sorry, yeah, you're right. No, no but I'm, I'm saying those four clubs I just named have got stadiums with capacities higher than Flamengo's average attendance rather than higher than the Maracanã. Um, anyway, just, yeah. yeah. Strange, anyway. Uh, Deportivo Pereira against Independiente del Valle ended 1-0 to the Colombians. Nacional versus Boca Juniors was 0-0. Horrible game again. Yeah, it was about as good a game as that scoreline suggests. Boca possibly even got a little bit lucky. If it weren't for Nacional... I mean, they didn't manage a single shot on target, so they definitely weren't unlucky. No, exactly, yeah. But also, Nacional barely managed a shot on target. They could Mm. not hit a cow's ass with a banjo with that finishing, but had way more attempts than Boca. I don't know what the numbers are like. There were places in in which even the players didn't know where the ball was. It was like, Mm. oh... Like uh, throwing the ball away and then you didn't know where, where, where it was. It yeah. was yes, I mean, Dan, Dan mentioned earlier that against Independiente, Boca weren't putting in much and then they also didn't seem to be 
putting in very much in this. They match. know what they need and, and they do it. And it's, it, it's like uh, years since they are doing this. It's yeah, they didn't seem to want anything else, to be honest. Um, no, no, I mean, that, and considering how good they've been in the Bombonera recently, exactly. can't really blame them. They'll definitely win next week. Oh, yeah. Bombonera, especially with, we'll get onto this in more detail soon, but EC10 mm. has just joined. That's just a preview. Finally of done. Talk. After. Don't say it. Oh, okay. Don't say it. Atletico Mineiro lost 1 0 at home to Palmeiras in an all Brazilian tie. Flamengo beat Olimpia 1-0 in a packed Maracanã. I'm mm -hmm. being probably sarcastic. I don't know whether it was packed or not, but Bruno Henrique scored the only goal of the match. And, Dan, I'm afraid we had to mention it at some point. Oh. But, from strictly from a neutral point of view, in the match which contained probably the 10 most entertaining minutes of Copa Libertadores football this week... Um, Atletico Nacional got a 4-2 win over Racing. And the reason that I said that thing just now is that with 10 minutes, including five minutes of stoppage time, so from the 85th minute onwards... Um, no, there were like eight minutes of stoppage time. With... Okay, in the 85th minute, mm -hmm. uh, Atletico Nacional was 3-0 ahead. Mm -hmm. And from that point of view, I feel like if you'd have said to a Racing fan, you're going to come out of this only two goals down, you'd have taken that. And yet somehow, <laughs> it was... It ended up being yeah. despairing, yes. Two penalties in the 87th and 94th minutes from Gonzalo Pioli pulled it back to 3-2 for Racing, and then about what felt like 10 seconds after the restart mm. from that second penalty, um, Atletico Nacional scored a fourth goal through Maxi Cantera. Dan, give us your thoughts. I mean, Seva's thoughts were, Gango is so fucking annoying, but give us yours. <laughs> Racing is so fucking annoying. Especially, you know, the defenders who just decide in the biggest match of the year not to defend mm. for yeah, whatever it was, reason. It was an interesting tactical decision. I mean, and, and they had a bit of everything. Two set pieces where you just let someone score without bothering to mark. Um, one of those was preceded by a horrific goal kick fuck up, which handed back the the ball to Atletico Nacional and led to the corner of which they scored from, and then two really quick breaks, which were just not covered by any Racing defenders at all. Um, the, the tactics were interesting to me, because, you know, you talked, I don't think last week, or, or I can't remember even the week before, but certainly at some point in the last few weeks, you've discussed how switching to a back three, yeah. or a slash back five, you know, depending on whether you want to count the wing backs as part of the back, back line on midfield. But that, that switch has led to this kind of turnaround in Racing's fortunes. Yeah, it's been great. A lot more solid, a lot more structure. Yeah. And last night, 4-3-3. Yeah, let's go back to what Hang wasn't working. I mean, I switched on about half an hour in and thought, what are they doing? Why is he doing this? <laughs> I mean, why not? Let's go back to the system which led us to leak about 20 goals in five matches mid-season uh, before we managed to fix it. I mean, why not? Give it a go. Yeah. Not like, you know, you're playing an away match in the Copa Libertadores first leg and, and the draw would be fantastic. Just, you know, guts some glory. Do or die. Why is this a bit of a, a you know, I, I realise that, especially as a Manchester United fan, saying this about Pep Guardiola, this particular year is, is risky. But is this a kind of what, and before this year's European Cup final, we would have said a, a bit of a Pep Guardiola um, error in that, you know, he had its reputation for overthinking it on the big stage like, or what? Like, there is... is 
One thing they won't be expecting me to do but is <laughs> the greasy thing is that a back line they can score four yeah. goals again. No, there is one mitigating factor to be to be fair, only partially mitigating because it's absolutely ridiculous as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is about a week or five days before this game, uh, Racing sold one of the pivotal parts of that three man defence in Tomas Aviles, who went off. Uh, yeah, I think course, we mentioned yeah. last week he went off to play for Messi um, on the beach. Um, so that, that left Gago basically with the option of sticking Santiago Quidos, another child, um, who has been playing a little bit and, and has been good, but, you know, chucking him into the most important match of the year as part of this back three. Um, or going back to the back four and playing four experienced players who kind of know the ropes and, and, uh, and all of that. Um, he chose the latter and it backfired. Really, really badly. Um, you also had Anibal Moreno coming back to the team after basically going on a strike for a month because he wanted to transfer away. Yeah. And he might have left for all the good he did, you know, shielding the defence. Um, yeah, just the same team which patently didn't work for that really rough first half or half and a half of the season where Racing were just getting taken to pieces by Atletico Tucumán, by Gimnasia, mm. Tacheres, all of these teams that really shouldn't be taking you apart. Um, and we went back to it, um, just kind of this chaos ball where nothing, especially after Atletico's first goal, because Racing started the game pretty well, were on top, had a few chances, yeah. um, but as soon as the first goal went in, it was basically pumping crosses in to your five foot nine centre forwards against three six foot four Atletico Nacional centre backs, and that went about as well as you can imagine, while leaving yourself absolutely gifted for any sort of counter attack from a team which I'm going to stick for, to what I said last week. Um, Atletico Nacional aren't very good. Just Racing were a lot worse, especially at the back. Yeah. Um, and for that reason, you know, you're right. A two-goal deficit is worse than a one-goal deficit, which is what they should have had at least. If they hadn't gone completely to sleep in the last minute, um, Christ knows what they were doing. But it is slightly better than a three-goal deficit. Um, if if, if this team goes out again, playing like that, there is no way they can score two goals without conceding another four goals in Avicenna, <laughs> which is going to be a problem. If it's any consolation... And it won't be. Then I will just say that from an entirely neutral point of view, mm. watching Piovi score that penalty, which one? The, to, to, the second penalty oh. to make it three-two, and then watching the defence almost immediately just push up too high and completely yeah. mistime their pushing up. The defence he was a part of. The fourth. Like I don't know if he was still thinking. Exactly. Right. If I get up, I can score enough. Exactly. <laughs> it it was very very funny. I but can the, imagine. But apart from that, they crashed each other like. Like uh, it's like one uh, defender wanted to go one side and the other to the to the opposite side, yeah. and they crashed. I don't think Gago. It's almost like they'd never met each other. Mm. Gago made astounding. Gago may have made mistakes. In fact, he did. But I don't fancy him in the in the talk before the match. Say, look, you crash to each other and leave the ball to the Colombian striker to, so that he can score. I I mean that is of course. 100% mistake from the players then 
you planified plan the match and, and you can yeah. make it run. Yeah, there really were schoolboy errors. It was the first three goals for Atletico Nacional that really you can lay at Gago's feet and the last one was just a complete brain fart from... Yes. You have to decide for yourself and, and understand that if you, are, you were 3-0 down, mm. you are 3-2, close the match. Mm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The second legs of those ties are next week and I feel like, you know, generally speaking, the Argentine clubs with an honourable exception of Racing, but they've all done kind of what we might have expected of them beforehand. And Racing are still in with a chance. They, they, they've been good at home this year, certainly much better than they have been away. Um, and so that's a chance. And here's the segue into the transfer talk section. Mm-hmm. They've also got a chance because if you follow the Argentine transfer window, you know what's coming. The one transfer that matters from Hand of Pod's point of view because before we support any club as a podcast, our policy is that we support Juan Fernando Quintero, and he's signed for Racing, ladies and gentlemen. Possibly. There's an asterisk. What do you mean, possibly? What? He's got I a dicky he's heart. Done. No, he's got a dicky heart, apparently. I can't believe this. Yes. After the amount of fried food he must have consumed, I am shocked. Shocked, <laughs> I tell you. Um, what? His medical um, flagged up an, an arrhythmia. Oh, no. So, I think I genuinely didn't work. know about this. I'm finding out about this. Yeah. Time. Um, I saw like we were watching. They, they need to come up with an exception. They, they just just don't play. <laughs> yeah, I so saw them the as, other day. They're not, they're not good enough to turn them down. Ask Peter no, Eriksson how he did it. Absolutely not. <laughs> um, I don't know. No, in, in fairness, Christian Eriksson ended up going to Brentford because he wasn't allowed to play in Italy anymore with his pacemaker fitted. Mm. So it, it, there wasn't an exception for him. But no, I think it, it, it hasn't fallen through and it hasn't been confirmed yet. It's a little bit in. Uh, in limbo, I heard last night the TV was saying that he failed his medical and it was all gone. But no, my we'll... mates who I watched the game with were saying it's it's going to be fine. It's going to go through. But is this just bravado posturing? Oh no, that's not a real problem. Heart issues aren't real. Uh, um, I don't know. It, I think it depends on you know. How serious it is, and if he can play, and what precautions are taken. The ones who uh, it's not ideal, to be fair, because I was really excited about this. As I know you were seriously, the ones who they perhaps will be useful to talk with is the River doctors because he had this previously right. when he was about to sign for River. Of course, doing the same mm. the the previous medical uh, yeah. car car. See River saying, "No, no, you don't want him." No, he can't play. He can't play. No, he never did anything for us. Um, so, well, that, that's disappointing to hear. But anyway, there have been some other high-profile signings as well. The first of which we will talk about, as Andres uh, wanted to mention earlier, and I stopped him from doing so, and then did so myself, is that the uh, discussion um, that has been taking place for a few weeks now. Dan's just going for a piss, everybody. I'm, I'm trying to do that quietly. I think they all heard it anyway. Uh, the discussion that's been taking place for a few weeks now on Teise, and that we reported a few weeks ago and said, you know, this is Teise, so it probably won't happen at all. And now, somehow, it is happening, albeit about a month after it was first reported as happening tomorrow. Edinson Cavani has signed for Boca And one year, one year after... There were people going to the airport to, to give him his welcome. Oh, yes, I've forgotten about that. And, and finally signing for Valencia. They just got there a little bit early. Yes. Uh, so, yes, it's confirmed. 100% confirmed. He has already tried hard because until you don't see him with the Boca uh, kids. Yeah, and he's given the press conference. But I think he's got the number 10 shirt, right? Yes. Um, and he's going to be playing 
presumably making his debut against Nacional next week. Because not in the starting lineup, perhaps, but yes, he will be. I uh, I think he will play. Not I know uh, how many minutes, but because I find strange that Diariole has already stated that Diario Benedetto is also full uh, one hundred percent uh, in his physical form. Uh, of course, you have Benedetto and you have Cavani. Choose who you do you prefer, but. Uh, uh, I think that because of his uh, new player at Boca, uh, I don't imagine him playing from the first minute. But uh, no, but then again, who else are you gonna? I mean, Merentiel is obviously starting yeah. and, and is playing well for them. But even even as a as a something that to manage the the, the, the dresser, dressing room properly, if you of course Cavani is a temptation, but you are. Merentiel, 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 and then Cavani arrives, and four days after you put him in the first place, that wouldn't be good. But no, the other thing is that, I guess Merentiel, we've mentioned a couple of times during missing. the league season, deserves to, yes. to have his place, you know. He, he deserves to be, to be played, and that Cavani needs to, to win that starting yes. place from him, even if we all know that in the long term that's probably going to happen, because Cavani's still in good physical form and has been playing at a high level until fairly yes. recently. I don't know what he did for Valencia last season, I must admit, but do you? Seven, I think seven goals in 28 matches. Actually, that's not a great return. Yeah. But, yeah. Something like that. It wasn't, apart from that he had been injured, so that's why he played so many, so uh, few matches, I mean. Yeah. In a whole year. Whole year uh, but I mean, over the course of his career and, you know, taking long-term averages and stuff, Yes, I it, it's a great signing for Boca. As as, yes. a, as a Man United fan, I would have much rather he had remained with the club than signing Con Almo, um There were uh, two years ago. People it, it, risking risking with saying that it was the most important signing of history of football, Argentine football. I don't know if if so big, but of course it's noisy. And it's nowhere near the most important signing in the history of Argentine football, is it? But at the same time it should be very good for Boca and it should get them what they need I would have thought next week you know we've already said or I already said I'm expecting them to win against Nacional at home next year next year no next week and it would not surprise me at all if, if Cavani comes off the bench and scores on his debut yes. um, but I do think that you're right that I'd, I'd be kind of surprised if he starts unless they go for a change of formation and start him alongside Merentiel I mean if Merentiel and Benito are injured both injured of course <laughs> you are it's obvious that he will he will play but uh, yeah Dan any thoughts on Cavani very good player and a very handsome man I saw yes. him yeah. now with his little jet Johnny Depp kind of um, goatee and moustache and oh, love yeah, I've still, sight, I've still got the very close range snap that I took of him in the mixed zone after a Uruguay match in the 2011 Copa America. When he but was then much, I didn't think... And I caught him in the middle of saying a word and remember sharing it with you guys from, from my camera uh, in the press room afterwards because it's just a hilariously unflattering snap mm. of him. He looks like he's pulling a face. <laughs> looks like he's gurning. The key um, question I feel like he's blossomed with, you know, blossom with age now. He's, he's never looked better. Oh, my... When he signed for Man United, my girlfriend just almost fell in love with him. Like she finally got Ali to watch him. The United one reason game. she didn't have a problem with me watching United in, in midweek while she was trying to work was if Eddie Tom Cavani was on the pitch. Because yeah. I mean, what a handsome guy. He is. I mean, I would have done. Yes. The thing Possibly is, still, the, no, maybe not now in a Boca shirt, but yeah. Perhaps the key oh. question is whether he will 
Boca will play for him or if, if he may will make Boca play better yeah. uh, because it's huge player for a team which not playing so so good so that is I think the, the question yeah. I think he'll, he'll demand higher standards from his teammates in training and if, if his time coming into United was, is anything to go by he's, he's a team player as well and, and knows how to bring the best out of those around him at least I mean he's a grafter he's so. always been an absolute yeah. grafter and yeah. that gets you quite a lot of the way in Argentina yeah um, and not to be outdone River as we mentioned last week I think have signed Facundo Colidio if we didn't mention it last week, it might have been because he hadn't quite signed. But I seem to remember saying his name, so maybe they were on the brink of signing him. Uh, a former Boca player, in fact, right? Mm. Well, well, he, well Boca have also signed a former River player. Apologies if you mentioned that while I was taking a piss. No, no we didn't. No. Uh, Marcelo Saracci. Oh, of course, yes. Yeah, There's been all sorts of um, social media expose's going along saying, mm. oh, this guy who used to play for River slash Boca said that he liked River slash Boca when he was playing for River slash Boca. Yeah. And now he's playing for Boca slash River. Yeah, it's scandal. He was at Madrid uh, celebrating the, the Copa de Tadores at River in which final defeated Boca. And he has a photograph of a, his, one of his sons with a River t-shirt. And he didn't delete them. De- delete it. Delete those photos. Why should he delete it? I mean, it's happened. Well, Col- Col- Colidio did. Colidio erased all of the photos and videos that he had. Uh, the, th- the thing is that he didn't play officially for Boca. He was at the reserves yeah. and then he didn't play for first division uh, team. Yeah, it's, it's a kind of a Lucas Prato situation, isn't it? Yeah. No, Prato mm-hmm. played. Prato played. For I mean, no, it was more of a like he was a hot prospect and got sold before he even managed to get his first team debut to Inter. Hmm. So not quite Prato who flanked No, it's sure, but I mean, Prato played like one or two games for Boca's first team, if I remember right. Yeah, but Colidio went because he was good. Right, whereas sure. Prato went because he was yes. okay, yeah. yeah. Prato and Mayana, That's where I wanted to make the, uh, the Prato and Jonathan Mayana are quite different to the Colidio case. But, yeah. but Colidio not having relation to Boca as football, playing football, he erased all of the social media mm. Boca-related things. And one River slash Boca player who will not be needing to uh, delete any social media posts is Manuel Lanzini because he formerly played for River and has now signed for River again. Um, yes. And I feel like if his fitness over the last couple of years had been better, we would be talking about probably the signing in Argentina, at least, mm. of, of this winter of, transfer. Of an Argentinian player. Because if he can stay in shape, he's going to yes. destroy the Copa de la Liga. I mean, River really did need another attacking midfielder, right? Oh, exactly, they, yeah. They were, getting, they were getting low with they the don't, seven... You know. They already had in their first team squad. The, the, the big so. question is going to be: Is he going to get any game time? But the other he plays centre back. He might. Care? He might be used, more useful at centre back. The risk. The risk is different to Boca. Uh, River couldn't sign him for the Copa Libertadores list uh, because it it, it it expired on Saturday, mm-hmm. and he will sign his contract on Monday or Tuesday. So if River gets, of course, I I hope not, but goes out of Copa Libertadores. He would only be available to play for Copa de la Liga. But the thing is that by Argentine football standards, in terms of signing someone who's been in Europe, this is kind of a signing for the future because he's only 30. Yes. So they're going to give him a no, four-year contract or five-year contract or something and he's going to be... It's know, a one-year contract only. Really? And yes, because he has his, the transfer is uh, on his own, he's free. Yeah. And in June 2024, he could decide whether, well, let's renew the contract or... No, look... Uh, Sevilla wanted 
me to, to go play for them and I want to go back to Europe. Oh, yeah, I guess he just wants a year to prove yeah. himself to see yes, if yeah. he can actually still play football yeah. and then go from there. Well, I guess River are going to be thinking if it gets us through next year's we to Norris group stage, which of course they've qualified for already because they won the league. Mm. Um, and if it helps in, in the Copa de la Liga, at least they're going to be able to play him in the Copa de la Liga and save De La Cruz or whoever for, for the Libertadores matches. You know? River was also looking for, uh, talking about former players, Gonzalo Montiel and Lucas Martinez Cuarta, but none of them will, will be finally happy ending. I feel like all of the, certainly all of the big five, and even more River and Boca, are always looking for who of our relatively recent ex-players <laughs> might be doing poorly enough over yeah. in Europe that we can you know, offer them some more game time here or something, because they're all going to be a relatively high standard by, by the... The thing is that Gonzalo Montiel is in the bench because... Jesus Navas, who is 37, I think, mm. is playing in his place. I mean, deserves deserve because he's, he's a good player, but... Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it's a bit demeaning for the guy who, you know, I was going to say six months ago, but it's now, what, eight, eight months ago, uh, was scoring the winning penalty in... We might not have mentioned this. Argentina won the World Cup in December and, and Montiel... Oh, that's true. Yeah. And, and he scored another... Also scored the winning penalty in the Europa yeah. League final. Yeah. Clearly can't take a penalty under pressure, that guy. Um, yeah, like, why is a 37-year-old former right-winger getting, getting games at right-back ahead of him? Because he's the... He's like, I know how to say... He's the man... Oh yeah, no, he's obviously the player we're talking about. Yes. Is he's a rich man, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem a bit weird. Any other big transfer moves, gentlemen? Uh, San Lorenzo down... Facu, Independiente don't facu. Well, Independiente don't have any money to do any more than that. Apparently they're trying. Just no have, one. Have they paid any more of the debt? They paid enough of the debt to get the embargo off them, so they can theoretically make uh, moves. <laughs> Apparently they've got their credit up to zero. Yes, <laughs> they're back to they're kind of where they started. Debt again now. Maybe kind of players are a little bit leery of you know joining and then not getting paid. But we we have to see whether Rosario Central doesn't sign a, a big name because they have money now with the Alejo Belis transfer. Has that been confirmed? Mm. I think it was, wasn't it? Like 4 million euros, something like that? To Tottenham. Pardon? To Tottenham. Oh, maybe it was more than that. I, I thought he'd gone somewhere else for some reason. I heard he was going to Tottenham. That's why I made the uh, new Harry Kane quip. I might have him confused with someone else. I can't remember. He has gone to Tottenham on a long-term deal. According to Fabrizio Romano. That's, oh, well, if Fabrizio Romano says it, then it must be definitely true. Because he never just changes what he said yeah. a couple of weeks later. 15 million euros plus add-ons. I see. That's good money for Central. Yes. Yes. Are they, hey. are they keeping a chunk of his next transfer fee as well? Because Venice is going to do... Uh, okay, maybe going straight to the Premier League, he's not going to get very much game time, but... He does look good in that shirt. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He looks a bit like Cristiano Romero in that shirt, actually, when he played for Spurs. Yeah, but he still plays for Spurs. Does he? Cristiano Romero. Yeah. Okay. Good. Oh, sure. Unless it's been um, transferred very recently. No, he, he, I, I don't pay enough attention to know whether he has or not, but so. yes. Anyway, moving on. Women's World Cup. Unfortunately, we have no good news to give you. Argentina. Uh, Brazil went out. Okay, That's good news. Yeah, that, that is surprising news, but yeah, 
uh, from the local point of view, the only thing... Germany went out. The only, the only thing that we cared about <laughs> in this World Cup was that Argentina went into it feeling like they had mm. the best chance ever of getting that first ever win ever. and following the 1-0 defeat to Italy and the... Oh, no, hang on. This, this last result took place after we recorded. Obviously, I gave you the result at the end of last week's episode. In fact, I now remember. Mm. Um, Argentina were 2-0 down to South Africa last Thursday. They went 2-0 down in the 66th minute before friend of Hand of Pod, Hand of Pod interviewee Sophie Brown, mm. scored her first goal for her country with an absolute belter, the longest range goal of the Women's World Cup so far. Um, to pull it back to 2-1 and then a few minutes later Romina Nunez headed in an equaliser and it finished 2-2 and I'm afraid that was as good as it got because Argentina I thought and considering the gap in quality and experience between the two teams put up a very good fight in the first half against Sweden um, you watched it right? I watched the first half yeah I was in bed it, it, was, it kicked off at 4am which is really the kind of time I should be convincing myself to go to bed and I thought uh, this is a really big game so I'm going to stay up for the first half um, they did well in the first half kept it I won't say they were on top because they weren't but they kept it about as tight as they could and in the second half which I did not see unfortunately Sweden uh, ran in a couple of goals Rebecca Blomqvist in the 66th minute and Ellen Rubinson in the 90th minute with a penalty any, uh, any relation to former United legend Jesper? I have absolutely no idea because I've only just heard of her. That would be cool though. Uh, indeed it would, yeah. except that she was scoring against Argentina, which we don't like people to do. Um, the good news for that, um, for that match was that Sophie started a defensive midfield, which is Excellent. Her, her position. That's where she's meant to be. Uh, she played the first two matches at right back. And As a correction, sorry. She played the first mm-hmm. match and a half at right back and at half time of the South Africa game uh, she was moved into midfield and there were a couple of substitutions made and that was what allowed her to score that absolutely belting long range goal Um, but ultimately uh, we haven't managed to get Tony on this week partly because we were arranging everything quite late on and I forgot Um, and partly because he's in Australia yeah that's good well he's in New Zealand but yeah that's why I forgot Um, because it needed to be arranged further ahead in terms of the time difference but I feel like it, just, it, it was a bit frustrating because yeah. the South Africa match was the match it was potentially going to happen in and yeah and uh, I don't know about news is that the Vanini retired from the national team right? yeah although he I was... feel like if Tony were here with us he would be no sorry that made him sound like he died he's not dead <laughs> if Tony were here he would be saying that it was after the performances that she put in it's not that bad a news good riddance I mean, this was her last World Cup game. She's been a great servant to the national team um, over three World Cups, I think. Certainly, at least the last two. Um, But she has this habit of just trying things that are slightly more ambitious than sometimes that she can execute and sometimes when she can execute them, they're a bit more ambitious than what she's asking. Bigger expectations than what she finally did, perhaps. Yeah. Um, So it's a pity that you know, given where she was like 10 years ago, it's a shame that she's ending her World Cup career, her international career here, without having played a part in that first win, which hopefully is going to come in the next World Cup. And then I guess, but even the mere fact of playing three consecutive World Cups, it's like progress, right? Yeah. As someone, you know, who doesn't follow this stuff much, that's not normal for 
the Argentina national team. No, indeed. And I mean, the hope is obviously with a fully professional league for a whole World Cup cycle now. Mm. They're only going to get more experience and, and have more players playing at a higher level in Europe or the States or wherever else uh, this time in four years' time. But we shall see. And we'll have, hopefully, a fuller post-mortem on all of this once we can try to talk to Tony at some point. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's what's been going on with the Women's World Cup. And now moving on to listeners' questions. And I hope we don't have too many of them because I'm I thought we only had a couple. So Good. we might get out of this quickly. Glad to hear that. The first was one that we got a couple of days ago, and it is from Back Full of Toffee, who says, God's left foot is moving to Racing. Discuss, although I presume Dan will be covering this anyway. All of us were covering it, but we have already discussed it. Um, so we're not going to answer that one. But thank you for asking it. And, you know, I'm going to retweet you because we have effectively answered it. Um, Pahlawan says, with the World Cup expanded to 48 participants... And with Salomon Rondon <laughs> outscoring Paolo Guerrero, is this just another sign Venezuela will make it to the 2026 World Cup? Did we ever stipulate that Guerrero's goals had to come at Brazil? <laughs> because I think he might have just drawn level I, with, I feel um, like, I feel with like Liga Aguita. You feel like that's bad faith? If, um, would, would have been good for, for Guerrero to stay because would mean Guerrero, Cavani and Rondon three great so a South American goal scorer mm. to play in Argentina would have been good, of course, if he... Three, yeah, three of the best players in the 2011 Copa America. Yeah. I remember 12 years ago, um, and I Sam recalls it very well. Indeed, yeah. Um, a little bit more seriously, I feel like I've been waiting for the big Venezuela breakout for for over a decade now. Because um, yeah. they've been so good, you know, under 20 level and had some decent runs at Copa America, but never quite managed to get it together. You know, in a whole qualifying campaign to um, to get through to to the finals, or not really been close either. Uh, well, they had that one campaign, maybe for twenty fourteen, where they just kind of narrowly missed out, mm. and we thought, oh, maybe they could make the jump next time. And then next time they were rubbish. Like, yes. It might have been twenty eighteen to twenty twenty two that that happened. But I think it's more likely to have been 2014 because yeah. they were very good then, and also because obviously Brazil were hosting. Yeah, South America had ah, the that, extra yeah, place. That might have been it. Yeah, and then they just fell off a cliff the next time around again, and it was like, yeah, oh, you've just. And in the meantime, they'd also reached the other 20 World Cup final. Yeah, and I mean, of course, uh, everything we say about Argentina's precarious economic situation and precarious institutional situation <laughs> is pretty much multiplied by 20 or 50. Yeah. When we're talking about Venezuela, um, in fact, you know, we talked a while back about Cesar, no, Jose Pekerman, who basically walked out because I think just the association president had flat out lied to him about mm. what he had to work with and what he was going to do. Um, so it's not easy, but I feel, you know, they'll, they'll give it a run. Um, you know, it's still a long way to go until. 2026 and at some point all of these really good players they've had have got to come through I mean it's happened for Ecuador now who are probably now the third best team on on the continent fighting out with uh, Uruguay for, for that post yeah at least for as long as Colombia have not got there oh Colombia are miles back yeah. yeah and Chile who knows about Chile I mean what I, I mentioned Colombia because demographically obviously Colombia ought to be right up there mm. and yeah 
for a bunch of reasons uh, that historically we're all familiar with in the latter half of the 20th century. They're not. Okay. Um, but, yeah. Liam Kelly, who is no relation to me, says, Final red card count, 378 matches, 128 red cards. 52 for two yellows, 76 straight reds. None from Estudiantes. Barracas topped the fair play table. Boca are the worst. Um, that's not a question, but thank you very much for pointing that out, Liam, because, of course, we spent the first month or so of the league season before every um, round of fixtures pointing out how many red cards there have been, and I'd forgotten that we should have done that round of, so thank you for saying So how does that boil down red cards per, per 90 per match? 378 divided by 128 is... That is one red card every 2.95 matches. Yeah, tiny. That is a very respectable average. If you're a striker and we're talking goals instead of red cards. <laughs> um, or a second striker, maybe. Anyway, Derek Ryan says, not a completely football-related question, but very hand-of-pod related. In Argentina for the next... In Argentina for the next week, which of the... Ah, okay. I'm, he's saying... He's not asking whether Argentina. they are, yeah. I'm in Argentina for the next week. Which of the artisan finettes are the most enjoyable? And for that question, Derek, there is only one answer, and that is the only fernet, I found this out fairly recently, much more recently than I've been drinking it for, in fact, that is made from 100% nothing but Argentine ingredients. Um, none of its stuff is, is imported at all, and that is fernet benet, that is B-E-N-E-Y. Um, and it's the stuff that I bought a couple of bottles of for us to enjoy on our very first episode back after we had all the Zoom recordings during the pandemic. When we first got back to recording in person, I bought a bottle of it on to celebrate because it is fabulous. Um, yeah, if you can get a hold of a bottle, unfortunately here in Buenos Aires, it's not enormously easy to find, but it is available in some shops, one of which is not an awfully long way away from here, uh, Dan's house in Misha Crepo. So yeah, try and track that down. Fernet Bene. Um, the others, by and large, there aren't really any artisanal ones. That's the thing. Mm. They're kind of there are smaller production ones, and they're just not yes, quite not as nice. The commercial ones are the most sold. Yeah, Branca is overpriced now. Um, oh, massively so. Because of the the fact that all of the ingredients are imported, even though it's put together here in Argentina, we on the podcast drink eighteen eighty two, which is fine. It's half yeah. the price of Branca and it's more than half as nice. More than drinkable. None of the other production ones I would recommend. The, the, there's one called Buo, uh, which has got an owl on the package because that's what Buo means. Um, and there and is, that's, that's reasonable, it's all right. But and there is one I think that, that doesn't deserve even to name he name it, but I think it's already mixed with Coke, with, with the... the <laughs> Fernando, Fernandito, yeah, yeah. yes. Um, oh, they use tobacco. Do not, <laughs> however tempted you are, if you're in a local supermarket, do not be tempted to give that stuff a go because it's... You can get it in a can nice. now as well. I've seen pre-mix 1882 in a can. Yes, like, yeah, yeah, that is a bit... Never I'm tried not, it, I must say, I'm but I will one day. Uh, and Perfect Tommy has just responded to Derek's question by saying, Fernet Benny was mine, and yes, I mean, yeah. uh, maybe I'll call it Fernet Benny from now on as well. Um, but that is the brand that we're talking about. And I think, I have a feeling that Tommy will have tried that because I bought a bottle of it when we had the asado around at your place while he was over. Mm. That might well have been what happened. Anyway, those are all of our listeners' questions. Of course, there's no Mystic Sam this week because there's no football this weekend. You're not going to have a punt on the Libertadores games? No. 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 Uh, because, I mean, 
largely because we've already kind of hinted at mm. quite heavily at what we think is going to happen. Fair enough. And not a lot of matches. The, the one that I think is a little bit of a punt is, let's say, let's show some faith and say I think Argentinos are going to scrape through against Fluminense. Oh. It's a risk. Yeah. But, you know. Bowls. Oh, okay, right. Let's go for the Argentine ones. Argentinos <laughs> will scrape through against Fluminense, yeah. maybe. Uh, Boca are going to get through against Nacional. We already said that earlier anyway. Uh, River ought to do the job against Inter. Mm. And Racing against Atletico Nacional. Could be very messy. Very, very messy. I'm obviously going for the overall result of the tie rather than the match specifically. I, I think it's going to be a very entertaining second leg, but I'm going to go for Atletico Nacional to, to qualify. Fair so maybe, I can see Racing getting a 1-0 win, or like a one-goal win, mm. um, but I'm not sure that I think that if Racing doesn't make the silly mistakes they made a, 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 at Colombia... I mean, they will. Yes. It's almost guaranteed that they will. I mean, they... As I said earlier, they, they definitely can qualify from two. If, if it was, if the gap was three, then I'd, I'd be much more sceptical. But I think ultimately, I think Atletico Nacional will end up getting through. I think it's one of them games, like a bit of a cliche, but anything can happen. Yeah. Like from a horrible 0 nil draw to Racing suddenly turning on and winning 4 0 to Atletico winning 4 0. Like completely up near. Exactly. And as I've already uh, said, you know. Argentinos Fluminense is like, yeah, I mean, really, obviously Fluminense are favourites, but I'm going to back Argentinos to do it. (laughs) Anyway, that's all. Yeah. So, thank you very much indeed for listening. We will be back next week. Uh, We are going to meet up to try and record some Handapot extras, as we already mentioned at the start of the episode, for our Patreon supporters that will go online during September and October while I'm not here. Um... If you want to get in on that, then you go to patreon.com slash handofpod. Thank you very much indeed if you've already done that, obviously. Uh, but for the rest of you, for everybody who's listening to the main podcast, we will be back in your ears in, I think, two weeks' time, maybe three. But I'm going to go for, for two. Uh, for now, thank you very much indeed, and goodbye from Andres. Thank you. Goodbye. English down. Goodbye. And me, thank you, and goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>